All right, everybody, as we try to get our final panelists up here, there's just a few things that I want to run down here at the top of the space. So as always, welcome everyone to this panel on gold and gold markets sponsored by Caliber Mining Corp. Now, since this is a sponsored space, it's important for me to note some of the terms of the space. I've also pinned them up on the top of this space up in the nest there. And I'll go ahead and read through some of these now while we get these panelists straightened out and up here. This space is not financial advice. The stock market is risky and any trade or investment is expected to have some or total loss. Please do your own research before taking any trade and do not use this information in this space for financial decisions or for investing. Additionally, Unusual Whales is not responsible for any promotion. It does not verify the authenticity of the promotion or partnership, nor the merits of the individual promotion. There's no endorsement of any one promotion. So please do your own diligence and research before following any one promoted post, panel, or space. Don't consider a promotion of a post to be advocacy for the sponsor of the post. And with that all said, let me jump right into our intro here and of course, to our panelists today, as those who frequent our spaces know, I like to keep these panels very open for discussion. So as we go along, all panelists, please feel free to discuss openly, add in your thoughts to any given topic. The only request that I have is that you remain muted when others are talking to avoid any background noise or feedback. And of course, as I go through our list of speakers today, feel free to plug anything you've got coming out, anything you're working on. Would love to promote that for you folks here today. So without further ado, let's jump in here. We've got a lot of speakers here in the golden commodity space, and I'm really excited. I think we're going to learn a lot today. So to start us off here, we have the Caliber CEO, Ryan King. Caliber Mining Corp is today's sponsor, and Ryan has over 15 years experience with the resource sector's capital markets and is well-versed in company mergers within resource markets. He also spearheaded and recently announced a merger for Caliber, which we'll get into a little later. Thank you again for sponsoring today's space and lending us your expertise, Ryan. Welcome. Well, thanks very much for, uh, for sponsoring or having Caliber on the, uh, on, the, on the handle here. Appreciate the time. And uh, just as part of the disclaimer you talked about, Caliber also has a disclaimer. Um, we, it's available on our website. But just to note in that intro, and thank you for that intro, uh, I am one of the founders along with the CEO. The CEO is actually Darren Hall, who's got uh, 30 years of operating experience as a miner. Um, myself, uh, you introduced me well, but my title is Senior Vice President of Corporate Development. Noted. Thank you again, Ryan. Apologies for that. Up next, we've got Patrick Karim. Patrick is a long-standing trader with 16 years of chart trading experience. A heavy focus on weight of evidence analysis, Patrick is a proponent of sound risk and money management, an all-around aficionado on gold and silver. I'm glad to have your expertise today, Patrick. Welcome. Hi. Uh, yeah, thanks for the intro. I'm uh, very happy there to, uh, to be uh, sharing in uh, some of my thoughts on the big picture for gold, uh, the milestones that we've had uh, in the past year for the precious metal and the uh, the macro drivers there to see what's coming up next are the big tidal waves uh, that could come into the sector. So yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be trying to sharing some of those uh, thoughts. Good deal. Thanks for coming, Patrick. Thanks. Next, we've got Tom Bodrovich of Palisades Gold Radio. Tom is the host of Palisade Radio, where he interviews experts from all walks of the natural resources sectors and in finance. With his own experience in the oil and gas sector, I'm really excited to get his takes and commentary today on gold as well. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, as, as you said, I interview a lot of people within the, the precious metal space. Um, but not only that, we also do our best to really look at the a lot of the macro drivers um, that are pushing us in the direction, I think a direction back to commodities. Um, and I know I've had a couple of the, the panelists on my show as well, um, and a lot of them tend to have their own views on why we're headed that way. Happy to be a part of this discussion. And happy to have you here for it. I'm excited to get some of those viewpoints today. Thank you, Tom. 
Next, we've got Tavi Costa. Tavi is a known expert on metals, mining, and the global macro environment. He's the PM at Crescott Capital, using his experience with macro strategy, and we couldn't be happier to have him back on our Unusual Whales panel. Welcome back, Tavi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, we run three different hedge funds, a global macro loan short and a precious metals fund. So, and basically another one that is more of a broad commodity related fund. Um, very, very bullish in, in hard assets in general, especially businesses that carry those, uh, that produce those assets. And, and so that is exactly why we, we spend so much time and focus and capital deploying into this, this industries of natural resources. And so happy to share my insights here. And happy to have you back, Tavi. Thank you. And next, we've got Tom Luongo. Tom has a wealth of knowledge and experience within the geopolitical landscape and gold markets. Proprietor of the Gold, Goats, and Guns newsletter and podcast, Tom has covered myriad topics pertaining to the markets and global relationships that influence them. Pretty pumped to have your expertise here, Tom. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate the invite. Uh, we'll see if I can keep on uh, on topic today. I'll try my best too, man. I get distracted real easily. All right, folks, I'm going to jump right in here. Before we get started, I want to give a quick macro overview of the last month since our last Unusual Whales panel. The Consumer Price Index for December showed that overall inflation climbed 0.3% on a monthly basis making for a 3.4% increase compared to a year earlier. The current dollar GDP increased 8.9% at an annual rate and real gross domestic progress, excuse me, real gross domestic product increased at an annual rate of 4.9% in the third quarter of 23. Equities have remained hot and in 2023 gold itself jumped over 12%, which is why we're all talking today. So to start us off. I'm going to go to the panel and we're going to start with Ryan from Caliber Mining. Do you anticipate 2024 to continue this uptrend in gold? <clears throat> All right. Well, thanks very much. Um, you know, look, we, we are a gold equity, so uh, it, it would behoove me to say that I didn't think it would. But nonetheless, look, the, the panelists here that are with us are much more suited to in, in data-driven to give you to give our audience a bit of a view on where we think gold prices are going. However, that being said, you know, uh, I, I, I think it really is. I believe that 2024 and beyond, uh, we're, we're in what, what looks like a very secular, secular bull market for uh, hard assets, for real assets. And, you know, it was interesting to me that even in light of pressures, i.e. rate hikes over the last while, um, we have still seen a, a positive uh, gold price environment. So I think as we transition and as the Fed has talked about um, rates potentially reducing, uh, I believe that this is very positive for gold and in uh, a lot of commodities and hard assets will perform very well going into the future. Thank you, Ryan. Does anybody have any comments or anything to add on what Ryan said there? Sure, I'll... I'll chime in a little bit. I think it's um, there are times in history when you want to own commodity businesses in general, and they're really difficult companies to own uh, during normal times. But those times are usually inflationary periods. And it is hard to believe we're not entering one given all the structural forces we have with the fact that we have deglobalization uh, intensifying over time, along with uh, geopolitical issues. We've got a, a reckless amount of, of fiscal spending that adds to the inflation picture. And now with the cost of living being so high, you, you can add to another force, which is the labor cost that is continuing to rise as well and forcing uh, employees to uh, demand higher wages and salaries relative to the profits that corporations are making. And this is going to be a continuing trend in my view. And the last one is certainly this chronic underinvestments we've had in commodity companies uh, in terms of uh, most management firms being so, and I'm talking, speaking mostly about the major companies being so conservative. And so 
it is it is hard to believe we're, this is not going to be an inflationary era. And if that's the case, uh, you do want to own hard assets, but you also want to own leverage to hard assets. And the only way to find that uh, without using debt or or even using debt, but uh, is is really through owning uh, high quality companies with great assets uh, and great management teams that can uh, produce those uh, those commodities for you. And so. I've never seen a gold cycle that is doesn't coincide with a commodity cycle. And so seeing gold trading the way it has been relative to anything else, I mean, even even gold on its own, uh, close to a major breakout historically, uh, if we do see that, it's it's probably going to attract capital to to other folks thinking about how do I how do I find better trades than gold itself? And and there are in silver and the miners highly distressed opportunities. And so um, certainly as we see those things moving, um, those uh, are going to create a, a, a large attention to and focus to uh, these other portions of the market of precious metals and other commodity markets that have been for a long time neglected, even even commodity uh, uh, exposure that of, of countries that have been also long neglected by investors like South America, for instance, and so without going too long, but that's that's a that's really the case for for buying these uh, these assets today. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with all of that. Um, just how long ago, I would, I without a doubt, agree with all of that. Uh, and then you take it one step further, and you realize that uh, we have reached a kind of I I, I I like to use the term debt saturation that we've reached a point where like we can't issue any more debt without uh, without distorting valuations on that debt to the ludicrous speed. You know, like they've gone plaid issuing debt to invoke baseball, right? So in that environment, like they have two choices and the, the one is, is to deflate the write down the debt or the other is to, you know, revalue, you know, real assets in terms of, you know, the, the, the notional value of the debt that's out there. And uh, an inflation way, and we we know structurally, and we know historically that that's the the choice that we always make is to is is to inflate the value of the debt away, and if so, then it, to balance the books, uh, you know, gold and commodity prices have to rise. The collateral undergirding the uh, the value of that debt, which is our labor and you know the the assets that we that we deploy, those they have to go higher, in 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 nominal terms, and we have a. You know, we can talk about silver being ridiculously under, undervalued. Well, I got news for you. Like oil is ridiculously undervalued from that same perspective, right? So, yeah, I, I, I think a, I think 2024 being a good year for gold is a, is, is a, is a slam dunk in that respect. Good deal. Thank another, you. Yeah, Tom, go ahead. What? Um, I, I was going to say another, another point as, um, as, as Tavi and um, Tom mentioned, you know there are these structural drivers, but there's also if you if you want to be just a contrarian about this, gold is so unloved, and gold miners are especially unloved. And if you want to, you know, find the best um, opportunities in any market, whether that be crypto, as as you guys seem to be um, fairly focused, whether that be equities, wherever that is, that opportunity lies where people either A, aren't looking, or B, don't want to look. Um, and I think that, that whatever metric we want to look at in gold at this point, um, that, that really brings to the fore this, this idea of being a contrarian because of how unloved, other than you know, the, the, the typical, let's say, gold bug um, that the miners and the, the metal really are at this point. Patrick, go ahead. Yeah, well, that's where that's where the technical analysis comes into play because we, we've heard narratives, you know, like like narratives of stuff that has to go up. Oh, it, it's so cheap, it can't get cheaper. Well, sure it can. You know, it's like there's there's a whole bunch of sayings like the market could stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, right? So you need people, probably investors, traders, they have to decide what their time frame is. That's step number one. Because we could talk, gold has to go up in 2024. It does, it does it, but it could still be a nut trend. I don't know. Is there if I had charts? Do you want me to nest them in the space, or do I put them in the tweet 
for this space if I ever had some uh, charts to share. Uh, feel free to nest them up there. Okay, on this. Because I have a, I'm looking at a yearly chart now, and gold in 2024 had its highest all-time close. So that the, uh, the previous all-time close was about 1900. So in 2024, gold can go all the way down sub 1900, guys. It could go sub 1900. I don't know, some type of crisis goes to 1600. But as long as it closes the year back above 1900, we're still in a bull run. So it's all about, I could be short-term bearish, then I could be long-term bullish. Gold has its all-time high in 2020. In 2020, 2021, it had its yearly all-time high. It had a yearly all-time high last year, a semestral all-time high, a quarterly all-time high. Look, it's bonkers. If you look at the gold chart, in the GFC of 2008, if you look on the yearly candle chart, you can't even see the GFC, but there's a huge wick. It went down. It went down 30 40%. It scared everybody, but it was already an uptrend. So my best advice is never fight the higher timeframes trend. That, that's the tidal wave that's going to lift all boats. So if ever there's a drawdown, something happens, look at the higher, higher time frame, and that should give you some, uh, some relief to know if you're on the good side or on the, on the bad side there of that those short-term corrections. Um, that's a really good point. Looks like we're getting some clipping mics here, but I do want to go to Caliber Mining, Ryan's hand there, and then Tom Luongo, you right after, if that's okay. <clears throat> yeah, thanks. And I just wanted to just follow up a little bit on Tom's point from Palisade. Is the contrarian view, and uh, you know, just to quote John Hathaway from Sprott in a recent article that he came out with on mining stock, gold mining stocks, being a very clear and compelling investment case, and uh, basically, you know, some analysis that has recently been done, gold mining stock valuations are at the lowest in 25 years. You know, the spread between the gold price and the discount implied to spot based on the market price of the equities is almost plus $700 an ounce. So, you know, that really does present, you know, that leveraged opportunity or that leveraged case to getting exposure to gold and high quality companies. So I think it's really important to note that there is a massive discount here <clears throat> when looking at company valuations that are uh, mining and, and producing gold. Thank you, Ryan. Tom, you had something to add as well? Uh, yeah, a couple of points. Uh, one, I agree with Tom Bodrovic's over Palisades about look, hitting them where they ain't is is the key to you know being a good at the end of the day being a good investor. Like you really have to. That's where you can find the best opportunities because that's where the biggest arbitrages are. And then to um, the Pat, uh, to um, uh, to to Ryan's point, the caliber. Um, if you think the valuations on gold miners are low, well, then look at silver miners because they can't even make any money at current silver prices. Um, and gold miners are at least making some money. And then the last point is what Patrick said about, about technical analysis. Absolutely. Um, identifying what it is that your, you know, what your time frame is and, and what you're going to trade is how you position yourself. And um, yeah, the, the signal for gold you know, the, the gold's yearly close and where we are today was was given in November when we had the highest monthly all-time high closing price, which then set everything up, even though we had some, you know, wiggle, it wiggled back and forth a little bit in, you know, in December, but we eventually we closed at, a, at an all-time high, all-time high monthly, quarterly, annual high closing price. And then we're getting some nice, you know, correction here in the first couple of weeks of January. That's not a big deal. It's not even anything to sweat or even worry about. It makes sense that when we get into the new year that everybody would start to, you know, take stock of uh, valuations and where their portfolios are and everything else. And but at the same time, it was a buy everything Q4. Stocks were up. Bonds were up. Precious metals were up. The only thing that wasn't up was oil. And um, so we would expect to see a bit of, you know, rotation out of those assets that were up strong in Q4 to start Q1. Whether how long that's going to last will, will is anybody's guess. I'm thinking Q1 is going to be a little light for these, for those assets, and then you know we'll we'll hit cruising mode in Q2 once it, once the dust starts to settle. Thank you, Tom. Now, Ryan, I actually want to follow up on something you mentioned just a few moments ago uh, on that leverage case. What what does that mean for Caliber on that that concept of the discount? Can you kind of speak a little bit on that from the point of view of Caliber? Well, I mean, you know, it goes without saying that, you know, as, as, as per what John Hathaway's comment was, is that, you know, <clears throat> as, a, as a gold equity, and of course, 
we have to look at the underlying business. You can't just look at all gold equities and assume they're the same because they're all very different with different cost bases, different mine lives, different jurisdictions. And so, um, you know, and, 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 and as it happens through cycles, you know, institutional investors will pick the highest quality names. Gold price will do its thing. They'll perform well. They'll get closer to top top quartile. And then they'll look down the tiers, right, for additional leverage, additional upside that could come from a consistent, sustained gold price or rising gold price environment. And so where Caliber comes in, I think, which is an attractive opportunity, is that, you know, today, as it was pre this recent acquisition that we've done, uh, we, we were probably trading at about a 0.4 times NAV with our current assets in Central America and the United States. And so, uh, yet, yet there was peers trading at 0 0.7, 0 0.8, 0 0.9. And, and yes, that has to do a little bit with jurisdiction. It has to do a little bit with mine life. But, um, but now this company is transitioning to be a very diversified Canadian, Central American, U.S. gold miner becoming a mid-tier gold producer. Uh, uh, you know, as per analyst expectations, getting up to that 500,000 ounce a year production profile and 60% of our NAV going to be based in uh, in North America, in Canada and the U.S. So, you know, we talk about uh, upside. It's not just gold price upside, but yeah, a lot of gold equities will trade with the gold price, but it's also execution. It's delivering on promises. It's also a growth plan within a cyclical, you know, and secular, secular uh, bull market for gold. Thank you, Ryan. So one thing I wanted to touch here as well, especially since we've been talking a little bit about it, speaker to speaker here, I'm going to go to Tavi on this one. In a tweet last week, Tavi, you touched on, on the volatility of the treasuries in recent months, citing shifting dynamics away from equity and fixed income holdings and investors seeking new opportunities, and they may turn to gold and other commodities for that. Can you talk a bit about the the transitional phase from the traditional 60-40 portfolios you discussed in that tweet, Tavi? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the main reason why precious metals and commodities look really compelling as, as a thesis is, is from a dynamic of capital flows perspective. When you think about the world and, and how uh, global investments work, usually you need to really have two main sources of capital really working on your favor. And when we uh, do analysis of allocation of gold and other hard assets across these two big pools of capital, which ones are those? Those are pension funds, investment strategies like 60-40 portfolios and all sorts of, of, of retirement funds that fall into the category. And the second one are central banks. Central banks historically uh, drive uh, the, the uh, opportunities in markets overall. And so I believe that, that that tweet is important because I was looking back in history, or at least in the last, uh, I should say, in 2023 of the charts I worked on that were uh, relevant for the next uh, decade. And this chart specifically is one that emphasizes this whole idea of 60-40 portfolios today are lacking that safe haven aspect, uh, which treasuries have done an incredible job over the last 20 to 30 years. But in 2021, things have flipped. And 2021, to me, marked the beginning of a new investment cycle. And looking at that chart specifically, it's the first time in 45 years that gold is now less volatile than treasuries. And if you are, if you are really managing a portfolio like that, uh, you're concerned about the fact that you are now dealing with a volatility issue that is not as suppressed as used to be in the past and not a, a great way to uh, diversify or should say it is a great way to diversify, but not the main way you should only own uh, when you're looking to uh, save haven assets as part of your, your allocation in, your, in a portfolio. And so if gold just steals, you know, one or two or three or five percent of that whole bucket of the 40 percent, you know, what a change and a, what a, a change in terms of capital flows into the metal over time. And it's, it's hard to believe if that happens, won't drive other metals that are linked to gold to also appreciate in the same manner. And it's important to know that that's the priority for a, a fund, a, a, a patient fund, a 60-40. Their priority is to reduce volatility when markets go lower and gold could serve as a haven there. A majority of people that look back in 08 as gold declining, 
that didn't happen in the early 2000s. Take a look at gold, what, how it did during the tech bust. It actually marked the bottom for precious metals and even the miners at that period entering then a secular bull market, which I think it's remarkably some, uh, familiar or similar to, to that environment today. And just to add one point is then central banks. Central banks own about 20% of gold. We all know here in this panel that, gold, that they've been buying record amounts of gold, but if you put into perspective of history of how much they own today, less than 20% of their overall international reserves, and knowing that back in the eight, late 70s and early 80s, they used to own 80 or 75% of their assets were gold. You know, if we go back just to the median or uh, of, of the historical median of allocation in gold, you know, we could see a huge in amount of inflows uh, to the metal just from the central bank side. So those two pools of capital are likely to uh, make some fundamental changes in allocation that can be uh, big drivers for gold prices, in my view. Thank you, Tavi. Ryan, I see your hand there. Well, just briefly to add on uh, what Tavi was saying there, <clears throat> is that uh, Western investment is really absent from gold or gold equities. And in some recent reading I've read, I think it was through a, a Sprott article again, it was under 1% of all global assets under management is allocated to gold, which is interesting because versus, I know it's, you know, it's a historical context in a different cycle, but back in 1980 on the, you know, really, uh, you know, interesting cycle then, 8% uh, was allocated to, uh, to gold. So even, yeah, I know there's competing products now and competing safe haven assets, but even if you were to go to a two to a three to a 4% weighting, um, it's going to have a tremendous impact uh, and opportunity for those that, that lead the charge and get in early. Patrick, I see your hand there as well. Yeah, well, I just want to add that we got to be careful to differentiate gold and the rest of the precious metals complex. Because the, the, while gold, you got to understand what, what is gold actually tracking, right? Why is gold going up? Well, gold is a protection of purchasing power. You know, I, I nested one of the charts there. I have the US dollar, the DXY divided by CPI. So essentially you're inflation adjusting the US dollar strength and gold tracks that over long periods of time tracks that inversely. So step number one for gold price to keep going up essentially is kind of sad because it means your, your US dollar is not able to purchase you as much as it could before. So gold is just a zero-sum game if gold goes up you're not actually gaining anything you're just protecting against the the us dollar's strength they're going down at inflation adjusted but then after that that's another chart which showcases what the silver tracks what the metal the, the miners track as a whole you know i have the i put the as a fund there it's a gold and silver miners etf since uh, 1968 or a fund on etf and they track gold's inflation adjusted per um, performance. So gold has to go up nominally, but for the miners to really like go up in their own bull cycle for, for themselves, gold needs to outperform inflation. So that's when you get the full tailwinds. That's when everybody, the, the barracks, everything starts going up like bonkers. You need gold to go up, but not just go up alone in a vacuum and expecting a catch up. You want to see gold outperforming inflation, always trying to price in that next wave of inflation that's coming in ahead of the curve. And that's when you should see the money flowing into the, the miners. And there's another chart, just uh, I'll throw it out there that I didn't put it and I didn't nest it. But for a true bull era in precious metals, it, that means in the miners and silver and all that, you need gold to break out versus SPX, like versus US equities, right? You want those capital flows as defined by that chart to go more in gold than they do in SPX. But it hasn't, we're, we're not there yet. We had a great run in 2020. It was a bear market rally for gold versus SPX. Now we're drifting sideways. But until gold is worth half of the SPX and starts moving up, uh, we're kind of the sideways to down pattern. You really want gold to really start outperforming SPX. And that could happen either if SPX going down and even gold going down slightly, but going down less. And then on the, on the recovery, gold outperforming SPX on the recovery. Because silver, gold, and the miners, they love a, a bear market rally and U.S. equities there. As that rallies up, uh, they love that. So... That's why I just want to differentiate there. Gold price, that's one thing, but gold really has to go up even higher and faster than inflation for the miners and silver to really uh, go bonkers. Uh, if I could uh, kind of cut in, the, the, that was really good, Patrick. Um, two things. One, I'm, I don't do a lot of spaces, so I don't know how to put my hand up. So I've been like trying to play with my phone while I'm listening um, so that I could uh, 
that's that's one. If somebody can tell me that, that'd be great. Um, the second thing is, um, yes, I, I agree with Patrick that we're we're dealing with wanting to 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 for gold to outperform inflation, of course, but it's during times of of loss of institutional confidence. This is where I'm 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 fully with Martin Armstrong on this. That that's when gold really breaks out across all currencies and across all. And that's where the, the secular bull market actually happens. That's why um, the breakout in dollar terms is so important because we're seeing gold outperform all the other currencies. The big one is when it finally outperforms versus the dollar, that now we have a global secular bull market, which is then telling us that there's a global loss of institutional confidence. And the the big one, and then to go back also, there's some great points made about the 60-40 uh, uh, capital allocation uh, strategies and all the rest of it. We're staring at a sovereign debt crisis coming into the rest of this decade. And it's very clear. And the turn in U.S. Uh, Treasury yields with the, uh, the beginning of tightening, which occurred in June of 2021, as I've beating my you know, shoe on the table like Khrushchev about when Powell started, uh, built the you know, $2.5 trillion reserve fund in the re reverse repo uh, facility, which drained global markets of dollars. And that turn has, um, that's not a, a fluke. That's not a three-year you know, uh, you know, bull market correction in a 50-year treasury uh, bull market. That is the beginning of a new treasury bear market, which no one who's listening to this space has ever really, as an adult, experienced unless you're over 75 years old. So, or, you know, yeah, I mean, just 60 years old. Like, this is real. And I think a lot of bond traders don't have any experience as to what to do trading bonds in a bear market. And I think this is part of the reason why the yield curve looks the way it does. It's why Every, at every turn, people are looking to the Fed to say, when are they going to pivot? When are they going to change direction? When are they going to cut rates? When are they going to do this? And I'm telling you, they're thinking in terms of we still have a treasury bull market. It's, it's just around the corner. And I'm like, no, what if it's, you're wrong about that? And this is part of the reason why what we're staring at now is potentially a much, much different environment than we're all used to dealing with. And that would mean a radical repricing of a lot of um, traditionally inflation hedging strategies and, and whatnot. So I, I want, I, I need to make that point abundantly clear. We're staring at a sovereign debt crisis because we are at debt saturation. And what does that mean when money reverts out of bonds where it's been pushed for the last 50 years, 45 years? And into where's it going to go? Where's it going to flow? And a lot of it's going to flow in equity, certainly, but it's going to flow into other places. And that's, and we can also start moving into like geopolitics and what's being set up in, in other areas of the, of the world, i.e., you know, central banks now becoming a, a major player in, in gold demand and the rest of it. It's, it's, this trend is not going to, to change anytime soon. And I think a lot of people just refuse to exceed to that reality because it's you know these are old illusions that uh, an old um uh, imprinting that dies hard and that's where we're where we're headed going forward thank you tom so also tom real quick on the hand raise thing i'm dming you a screenshot on how to do that right now and so to kind of thank you no problem no problem to kind of pivot here, and then I do want to come back and talk a little bit more about, about volatility as well as gold versus the treasuries. But for now, I also wanted to pick your brain about something else, Ryan. So Barrick Gold saw their fiscal year 2023 gold output fall 2.1% from the prior year to 4.05 million ounces below its annual guidance range of 4.2 to 4.6 million ounces. However, Caliber Mining Corp reported record production. So, Ryan, what do you credit Caliber's success to? And can you dive a little deeper on Caliber's outlook as we break into 24 here? Okay, sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, honestly, uh, 
you know, really, I mean, when you get to those sizes, it becomes a lot more challenging. You know, a five or a, or a ten percent um, miss on on a production guidance for a for a barrack uh, obviously has a more impact than a a five percent or a ten percent miss on a on a relative basis for a you know what a, what we are currently now a junior gold producer and and you know fortunately last year we uh, we beat the high end of our production guidance so last year we guided the market uh, two hundred fifty thousand ounces to two hundred seventy five thousand ounces. And of course, uh, as you just mentioned, record uh, record year for us. We came in at two hundred eighty-three thousand ounces. Now, uh, if we go back a little bit uh, in history of the company, the company became a gold producer in Q four of twenty nineteen. And uh, uh, you know, fortunately for Caliber, and I think it really is for a lot of businesses. I'm not just talking about gold or commodity businesses. Any business it really comes down to the people and the strategies and the execution of said businesses. Right. And so fortunately for Caliber, um, our chief executive officer is a very experienced, uh, uh, seasoned uh, mining operator that um, that has done this for 30 years. To give you an example, Darren Hall is his name, and he was with Newmont uh, for most of those years. OK. And um, over time, Darren uh, increased in his level of, of, of responsibilities within Newmont. Okay, he was responsible for, for putting a new operating strategy in place in Nevada. Uh, he actually uh, then they moved him over and put him in Peru, where he uh, worked on a mine there. It was producing sixty thousand ounces a year, and within a few years, under his uh, guidance and uh, and and direction, grew it to two million ounces a year. And that was a, a mine called Minera Yanacocha, which was one of the largest uh, producers in the world. Um, he then went on to build a massive, uh, massive mine in Indonesia, and then to end out his career at Newmont, he uh, he was overseeing Asia Pacific for Newmont in the 2000s, where he had uh, about 15,000 people under his direction, and about eight mining operations under his uh, under his oversight, which represented about 50% of Newmont's EBITDA. So. But Darren's skill set, of course, he's a mining engineer, but his skill set is looking at all the parts to bring together to create the product you want. And so when we look at Caliber uh, as a gold producer, 2019, we acquired gold production and partnered really with V2 Gold in Central America. We acquired the, their assets there. And the outlook was, was not as robust as it is today. You know, at the time, we had two, two mills, a number of, uh, a number of mines, and we anticipated in 2020 we were going to produce 100. We were going to produce 50 to 70 thousand ounces of gold. Now, fortunately, because of a new operating strategy that Darren put in place, that first year we produced 136 thousand ounces of gold. And then through operating cash flow, we reinvested back into the assets, and we've grown that on a compounded basis about 20 percent year over year. And then having that record year in 2023, while our guidance for 2024 is 275 to 300,000 ounces this year. And so uh, where I would credit that is reinvestment back into these assets, uh, the new operating strategy that Darren has deployed. And, um, and that's led to some fiscal responsibility. I mean, but prior to the acquisition with, uh, with Marathon Gold, we had uh, essentially no debt. Uh, we had grown our cash from where it was in 2019, which was about $4 million to almost $100 million in, in 2023. And so we were very focused on organically growing the business um, uh, through this, this new strategy and reinvestment back into, as you all do uh, in any commodity company, reinvestment back into drilling and exploration and development to, uh, to hopefully increase the size of your resources and reserves, which would increase NAV, and then hopefully uh, lead to share price performance. Thank you, Ryan. And so actually, I was going to kind of pivot back to that volatility and treasuries discussion. But first, since you mentioned it, Ryan, could you touch a bit on that Marathon Gold merger you announced in November? What drove that decision to pursue the merger? Yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, what we've been seeing in uh, as a gold producer and, and as, as uh, you know, uh, uh, an executive in the space for a, for a long time, uh, us as Caliber have been looking at additional M&A opportunities, merger and acquisition opportunities. Of course, we had been growing um, year over year. However, we wanted to build a diversified uh, gold producer 
and uh, focused on share price performance. And what we've seen is we, you know, as per you know something I read earlier, gold equities trading at 25-year lows. We saw developers and and um, explore companies trading even at a higher discount. And so, really, this is where where it led to this opportunistic acquisition of of Marathon Gold, which which uh, their asset is in Newfoundland, Canada. So they have currently five million ounces in all categories of resources, two point seven million ounces of reserves. And what really attracted us to us was the opportunity in terms of getting into cash flow, i.e. they had gone through economic studies, they had gone through permitting, and they were actually 50% through the construction of the project, which uh, as per a, a, a 2022 economic study, demonstrated almost 200,000 ounces a year at roughly $1,000 an ounce, so very good margins. Albeit, I would anticipate a little bit of inflation comes into that. You're probably somewhere between eleven and twelve hundred, all in all in cost to produce ounces of gold, but fantastic margins. And so, with our cash and our operating cash flow, we saw an opportunity where we could complete the build uh, with no further dilution, uh, fill, fulfill a need that they had to complete that build, rather than you know a marathon going out and raising additional equity and diluting their shareholders. And what this will lead to is caliber going from a junior producer to a mid-tier producer um, and, and a, you know quite a tremendous opportunity for us given the expertise we have under Darren and our operating uh, expertise there as well because you know Marathon has a great team but they're still developing an asset where Darren on our team comes in is that ability to ensure that for lack of a better term this asset gets birthed properly uh, with the proper capital spend to develop it properly and then you know, that asset then grows up to be a responsible adult. So it a tremendous opportunity to become a diversified miner with most of our NAV in North America, uh, which I think will get a, a potential re-rate on the back of delivering this. Good deal, Ryan. Sounds like things are on the up and up. I'll be really curious to see how things pan out. Thank you. So here I do want to do that little pivot back to when we were discussing the relationship between gold and the treasuries, in this case, the 30-year treasury bonds. So Tom from Palisades, I'm going to pick on you on this one, and then I do want to kick it around the panel. So after Tom's done, people feel free to raise your hand and chime in. So Tom, in an interview with Luke Groman, Luke commented on putting a larger chunk of investment into gold because, as he put it, gold actually has a lower downside volatility than 30-year treasury bonds for the first time, he says, in 45 years. So, Tom, can you touch on maybe why that is and maybe give a little bit of a backdrop on the relationship between bond yields and gold? Oh, it looks like we lost Tom from Palisades on the speakers, so if anybody else wants to chime in on that, please feel free. Sure. I, well, I was the guy who created that chart, so I guess I might comment on it. <laughs> Please do, yeah. Uh, um, look, I, I was wondering myself if, if you know, what the, the downside volatility of treasuries was, and this is what kind of led to that research. And, you know, there, there are times when treasuries are a great place to be invested in, in and I, I'm not here to claim that you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be part of your portfolio or anything like that. I, I do think... Uh, there's ways to to get exposure to fixed income, um, and what I agree with Luke is is that there's a diversified manner to to do that, and and this this volatility event that we're seeing with with treasuries is 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 a bigger problem than people perceive. It's you know when you look at the amount of issuances, which we used to talk about this one or two years ago. Now it's a big topic, but it's still I think there's still more to go here because. $8.2 trillion will be issued in the next 12 months of treasuries. And it's a bigger question of what's going to be the composition of that those issuances in the next 12 months. You know, if there's any decline in 10-year in yields and 30-year yields, I think immediately Janet Yellen will be forced to actually go in and issue, issue treasuries at those in those durations because uh, she's been mocked over the last month or so with uh, – with the fact that she didn't take advantage of the fact of how low interest rates on the long end were, and she she should have uh, issued that at a much lower level. And you know the median, uh, I should say, the average uh, interest rate today in in the Treasury outstanding market it's somewhere close to three and a half percent. 
So as we see this reissuance, why the maturing uh, of this debt is so important is because they're going to have to reissue this debt at significantly higher interest rates. And that seems to be obvious. But, you know, when you look at the not just the, the, the volatility itself of treasuries, but just look at how suppressed the volatility of corporate bonds have been recently as well. You know, the junk bond market has been very, uh, been acting very well. Although, you know, when you look at the, uh, the underlying issues of, of all these debt on the corporate side and the government side that are going to be uh, have to be a uh, uh, reissue here soon. Uh, this is going to cause, I think, a cascade effect and probably a main, one of the main reasons of why a recession has not unfolded yet in, I should say, in, in 2023 within C1. Um, and uh, as we see this reissuance process of, of all these uh, maturing debt obligations, uh, this could become a bigger problem over time. So I'm I'm of the view that this is a a fundamental problem and and uh, and it likely to uh, continue to cause yields to move higher. And as we see the response from governments causing yields to continue to move uh, to pressure yields higher, this is going to be uh, the the issue with cost of capital that's that uh, stays historically elevated and making it harder and harder to justify. Uh, multiples of valuations of equity markets and other things that have been very, very, uh, you know, frothing in terms of not only valuations, but also allocations. And uh, as we see investors rethinking uh, their portfolios, uh, certainly I think that the the traditional portfolio allocation would look very different 10 years from now. And if, if, if you ask my, my opinion, it will probably look much more like with exposure to hard assets in emerging markets. Thank you much. That was a really good outlook, and I think you you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that one. Does anybody have any comments on that before I move on to the next question? Hi, it's it's Patrick. Go ahead. Yeah, well, me, it's super fast because as a TA guy there, whenever I hear any two instruments, my first reflex is to do a ratio chart of them, and then right away I'm able to see which one's outperforming the other, what has happened in previous bull eras for one or the other instrument uh, via that ratio chart. And if I, if I do gold priced in those 30-year yields, every single time gold was in a true bull era, so every time gold really appreciated and started outperforming inflation, it has always outperformed the 30-year yields. It did it in the 70s. It did it in the 2001, 2002. It, it did a beautiful breakout versus the yields, rocketed upwards. In 2020, it did break out. So in uh, 2019, sorry, the, the gold did break out versus the yield. It went crazy up. But what's happened now is while nominally gold has went up, its performance versus the yields has has totally fallen. It's back within, uh, it's, it's like almost a false breakout. Right now it's back into a consolidation pennant uh, that it's been carving out since 2013. So that's just like a sideways move. So there, there's kind of a delta here where gold price nominally is going up, but it's not outperforming the yields. So that's another piece of the element that's missing. It has to outperform the yields, whether the yields go up or down, gold has to outperform it to be in a true bull era. And right now I'm on the fence on that because that chart is just telling me that the market hasn't decided if gold's gonna keep outperforming the yields or underperform them. So gotta keep, uh, that's a very big picture, but you gotta keep an eye on that also. Thank you, Patrick. So kind of in the same vein, before I pick on Ryan some more, Jim Wickoff, the senior analyst at Kitco Metals, has said that strong gains in the U.S. dollar index are pressuring the gold market as well as a rise in those U.S. Treasury yields. Uh, I'm curious, and, and I think I'll start with Tom Luongo here and then kick it around the panel a bit. How do you interpret the strength of the U.S. dollar currently, and how does this affect the outlook on gold markets? Uh, sure. Um it's going to, I mean, it's a knee jerk reaction as always that at this point in time, it's, it's that, that the uh, strong dollar, we get, uh, we get pullbacks in the price of gold. I think the, in the, I, that relationship is, is beginning to, is going to break down as we get away from um, the U S dollar index being one, it's, it's not particularly good, a uh, good indicator ultimately in the long run, because it doesn't actually uh, in, um, it doesn't, the US dollar index is a flawed index because it doesn't ultimately, you know, reflect, you know, China, 
our trade with China, which is insane. Um, so the, the U.S. dollar index is more about its trade against the other G7 nations. Um, and um, so my, my, my bigger uh, worry here is, and it's, I wanted to go back to something that, 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 that Savio brought up about yields and yelling and, 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 the, uh, and, 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 all, and, and all of the stuff about um, the, 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 the reissuance. Janet Yellen has been sitting on the two-year yield and trying to force it down as long as possible. When the market gave her every opportunity to start reissuing at you know sub four percent on the on the U.S. ten-year and longer, and now we're getting a bull steepening trade to open up 2024. And if she doesn't start doing uh, outsized um, issuance in the long end of the yield curve at these lower rates, then that is telling you that we have real problems at the leadership level at the top of the country. And it's very important that these markets do not operate in a vacuum. They do not operate outside of politics. So to Patrick's point about the, 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 the pennant flag you know, of the, the, the ratio trade between gold and 30-year yield, of course, Powell just went ahead and raised interest rates 550 basis points over the course of 18 months. Uh, we would expect... Um, we would expect gold to not outperform treasuries under that that scenario. The bigger question is now that 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 Powell's done the lion's share of the raising, is he done with is he done with that? Um, I expect in this scenario going forward, again, it's about loss of institutional confidence. Is the move the 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 where we're moving? It's the phase we're moving into, right? We when we're in a treasury bull market, then institutional confidence is high, right? And therefore, gold is just going to do its thing versus the three-year yield or whatever. Your index, you want to you, the, the discount is against the two-year two or three-year yield. But when you start moving into an, in, a period of the loss of institutional confidence, you move against everything. So now we have to ask ourselves the question, what is Federal Reserve policy going to look like over the course of the next 18 months? And the market is over-discounting the idea that the that the uh, the Fed is going to cut interest rates anywhere from 150 to 175 basis points in 2024. And does anybody in the space really believe that that's what's actually going to happen with Jerome Powell as Fed chair? I don't. And I think these markets are horribly mispriced. And this is part of the reason why I'm bullish on gold. And then the dollar will tend to itself in terms of global trade flow. Thank you, Tom. Tavi or Ryan, do you have any comments there on what Tom said? I'll leave it to Ryan. I spoke. I was talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, Ryan, I do have a couple more questions on specifically the the merger we discussed a bit ago, as well as the build out of your Valentine Gold project. And I'm curious, how will that transaction potentially help expedite moving your projects there at Caliber into production? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So. What you've just mentioned there is the Valentine project. Of course, this is the project um, as part of the Marathon Gold acquisition. So their their primary project is it's called the Valentine Gold project, located in uh, central uh, region of Newfoundland, Canada. <clears throat> the of course the project is not in production yet. However, as mentioned in in previous uh, uh, discussions here, is that <clears throat> of course Caliber is the gold producer. We we have um, we have grown year over year, but this transaction allows us to really catapult and transform the business to be a um, kind of, in my view, <clears throat> a gold producer that's in a sweet spot. It's not too big. It's um, it's at a size where medium to large institutional investors take notice, um, and um, and I think what what's really critical about this one is that. And, I'm, and I mentioned this at the beginning, jurisdiction is important for valuations. And what this does for Caliber is it transforms us from being, you know, 90% of our net asset value coming from Central America to 60% <clears throat> of our net asset value coming from North America. We have uh, a smaller 40 to 45,000 ounce a year gold producer in Nevada. Uh, and, and this one... Uh, upon completion, upon delivery of of the of the mine getting into production, will as mentioned deliver about 195,000 ounces a year 
for the first 12 years of a, what's currently a 14-year mine life. Now, um, and so when we look at this type of a transaction, uh, it's, you know, I mentioned some of the re-rate scenarios and, and we'll see how this plays out. I mean, it's my view, of course, as a company advocate, that I think this will be the case. And I'm not talking about a, a higher gold price environment. You know, I would anticipate that, you know, all the gold ETFs and all the different gold products will closely or more closely track as the price of gold starts to get traction and is above $2,000 an ounce for longer. And that realization is starting to set in uh, and potentially, <clears throat> you know, they're not seeing the returns they want to see in, in other types of sectors. But uh, so this gives us a lot more relevance in the space to capture institutional retail IA investors. I, A, because of the growth. I mean, through 2024 to 2025, you know, um, we would be growing at about a, a 50 to 80% production rate growth over this period of time, just because of the stage that Valentine's at. We would anticipate, based on Marathon's disclosure, that, uh, that this Valentine project will be in production in the first half of 2025, right? So it's a very exciting time for us as a business, A, to be able to facilitate the, the financing of that project, and B, to be a part of an evolving gold producer that's, uh, that's going to be, gonna have a large presence in Canada. And a big portion of our, of our value is coming from a Canadian gold producer. And, you know, it is what it is, but Canadian gold producers have seen large premiums. Safe jurisdictions, quote unquote, safe jurisdictions are getting better premiums for their equity. So what this does for us is it allows us to potentially unlock value from that jurisdictional diversification. So uh, very exciting times for the business. And But uh, as always, it really comes down to that delivery. It comes down to, you know, our mantra has always been, under promise and over deliver and we've been doing that quarter over quarter for 16 quarters since we became a gold producer and so i believe going in front looking in front of us to our future there's that opportunity for you know catching up to being a half a million ounce a year gold producer in terms of its valuation like for example um, upon close which would anticipate to be next week our market capitalization will be roughly 650 million us dollars versus an established four to 500,000 ounce a year gold producer, again, with a diversified portfolio, you know, they trade between 1.5 billion US and 5 billion US. So, you know, that's the types of opportunities that uh, I think investors could have with Caliber. Thank you, Ryan. So what I want to do here at the tail end, we're at our hour mark, and I think a couple of our speakers had to drop, but I am curious with our speakers left, we've got Tavi and Ryan still here. Do you have any kind of remarks you'd like to make, maybe topics we didn't touch on, just to kind of wrap us up here and send these folks into the rest of their day? Uh, and of course, if you have anything you want to plug, Tavi and Ryan, aside from what we've discussed, please feel free to, but let's start with Tavi here. Sure. Look, I think, you know, in terms of to keep this conversation more in line with the topic, which is gold, I, I would say that some of the important and relevant things going on are similar to prior periods that we've had a, a gold cycle. And the big question is, is are we entering another one of those or or this recent moves have been sort of isolated events and for whatever reason that uh, they have occurred. But I would, I would. My contention is is certainly that this is this is actually a a real long term uh, cycle that we are uh, on the cusp of of seeing, and and the reason for that is this kind of profusion of of indicators that show us that we are in line with that. And one of them that is important has been this global production of gold, which is something we also notice at periods like the nineteen seventies when it was similar to now when a period when uh, we didn't see a lot of exploration and production uh, and, and even development of, of new mines. And, and most of the producers at that time were very conservative uh, in terms of uh, aggressively investing in, in, in new projects. And, and that is a trend that we're seeing today. The overall production of gold, while there are some miners that have been growing production, 
if you look at globally, it's still declining now and really started back in 2019. And looking back in even the early 2000s, we did experience something similar where global production was falling. Um, and, and so I think this is a, an important tailwind for, for gold itself. I spoke about the the, the potential for the, those changes of capital dynamics being caused by uh, by treasuries and so forth. And I still you know hold my view that that's that's likely to be the case here moving forward. But I would also point out to the, the idea of what we are experiencing that is similar to the early 2000s is this manufacturing boom that we had uh, with China during that time that really created the demand for commodities. And today, I would argue it's even more relevant because we're seeing this across most G7 economies uh, in terms of the uh, the development of reshoring and and also reducing their uh, dependencies from uh, uh, from authoritarian regimes like China, uh, even the Middle East and some other parts of the world. And so there is no risk, you know, there is no war premium, geopolitical issue premium in commodity priced in uh, in markets right now. And this is what makes it so special, in my view, as we enter a world that it's going to be a lot more complex, geopolitically speaking. And is likely to, uh, uh, you know, reemerge in terms of the inflation problem, but also, uh, you know, also uh, uh, create a, a further evidence that that this is a, a bigger structural problem that is uh, that forces investors to actually own uh, things that are tangible uh, and things that have done well historically during inflationary periods. So those are the things I would reemphasize in terms of the thesis for gold. And there's nothing cheaper than miners, in my view, and and so. When we talk about institution investors and uh, institutional investors looking for distress opportunity, there's nothing more distressed than mining. You know, the access for capital has been very difficult. Uh, we've seen some critical changes in terms of management, critical changes in terms of restructuring those companies and projects. Um, you know, I think we're in the cusp of an M&A cycle as well because of the the lack of new developments and so forth, and 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 new projects coming online, and so. All those things are going to be important movers to uh, to the metal, and that will drive this overall industry, in my view. Thank you, Tavi, and thanks again for coming and sharing your expertise with us today, man. I always appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Ryan, is there anything you wanted to touch on here before we send people off into their day? Anything, anything about caliber we maybe didn't touch, anything about mining in general? Please feel free. Okay, well, thanks. Yeah, and no, I'd echo uh, pretty much everything that Tavi says there. Um, it is a, it is a cyclical business, um, and you know, commodities in general are cyclical. Various commodities at different times. Timing is always critical when looking at these types of investments. But after hearing all of this data, and and hearing in and, and hearing and seeing where the world is at with regards to deficits, uh, geopolitical, etc., it does. Uh, you know, create that period of time where we have to think that, man, maybe there is a transition underway here. Maybe there, maybe I should be looking at uh, maybe a small allocation or some type of an allocation to something that is completely out of favor and at multi-decade lows. So, no, I'd just encourage investors and in, in the audience to to dive into further further information. Read some of Tavi's uh, articles, which are very good, very compelling, and data driven. Right. And then, you, you know, you look at all of the space and, you know, maybe there's a portion of uh, of your portfolio that, ha that you want to reallocate things to. And with all that information should help guide that uh, guide that decision. But coming back to Caliber, we're one of those products. We're one of those products that gives you exposure to, in this case, particularly gold. Um, and it's not just about exposure to gold. Yes, we are a business. So we've got to deliver on that. And uh and as we have done, uh, as I've mentioned, year over year, I believe we'll do it in the future, continue to do that and unlock more value for our uh, for our stakeholders, for our shareholders, for our communities. So, um, no, I appreciate the time here. I appreciate being able to share some information here. And I really like the, the panel discussion such that people can get an idea of, um, of this different uh, sector, of this unloved sector, which presents a very compelling opportunity. Thank you, Ryan. And I think I'd be inclined to agree. It's been really interesting to learn a lot more about gold. It's something that I'm more or less ignorant about. So having everybody up here talking about this has been really valuable for me.
All right, everybody, that will send us into the rest of the day after this gold panel. Another huge thank you to Caliber Mining for sponsoring this panel and for making it possible today. And for Senior VP of Corporate Development and Investor Relations, Ryan King, for being here and lending his expertise and information as well. Once again, today's sponsor was Caliber Mining. For those looking for more panels in the future, stay tuned. Unusual Whales may be hosting another panel next week on cybersecurity. But for sure, we'll be back again on January 31st for our monthly FOMC space. Thanks again to Caliber Mining, and thank you to all of our panelists today. And, of course, thank you folks for coming in and listening to Learn With Us. Have a good rest of your day, folks.